You're listening to Now I've Heard Everything, interviews from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s with voices from the past. And he said, are you Ron McClarty the novelist? Stephen King said, are you Ron McClarty the novelist? And I about croaked right there. Actor turned novelist Ron McClarty. Today on Now I've Heard Everything, I'm Bill Thompson. A funny thing happened on the way to Ron McClarty's career as a rich and famous novelist. He became a successful actor first. Now, if you're a fan of TV shows such as Law and Order, or The Practice, or Judging Amy, or Spencer for Hire, you'll, you'll recognize Ron McClarty. He's been a successful actor for years. But when I met him in 2005, it wasn't to talk about any of those shows. It was about his first published novel, a book called The Memory of Running. And it turns out that's what he wanted to do all along. So here now, from 2005... Ron McClarty. I, I have to tell you, it's not uncommon for me to interview people who's, who, you know, with a first published novel who have a couple more in a drawer somewhere. But I don't know if I've known anybody who has nine more in a drawer somewhere, nor do I know anybody. Yours, I have to tell you, I've interviewed 8,000 authors literally over the last 20 years. I don't know if I've ever read a more inspiring success story than you've had with this book. Oh, yeah, thank you. I'm still, I pinch myself about it. I'm, it's overwhelming to me. I, I came to New York after the Army to be a writer, but I got extraordinarily lucky as an actor. I, and I, I figured that I could be an actor to, to, to support myself as a writer. I figured it would take at least three or four years to make my <laughs> hundreds of millions of dollars as, as a, a writer. And, um, I, my luck, though, was in acting. The first job I got was at Arena Stage here in, mm-hmm. in, in Washington. It was Moon Children, very first professional job, and that came to Broadway. And that led to the rest of my career. But my, my novels and 44 plays, uh, um, unpublished and mostly unproduced, uh, they, they were a different story and took a, a different route. The first two novels I wrote, I wrote to be rich and famous. And to be loved. And if you write a book to be rich and famous and to be loved, <laughs> it's going to read like you wrote mm-hmm. that book to be rich and famous. So uh, I, I I was pr- probably really on the wrong track. And then an event happened in 1987. This book was written in 88. It's the third of the ten books. Um, in 87, my mother and father had a car accident in Portland, Maine. They were driving home after a vacation to Rhode Island. And I went up to take care of them. And that's the opening chapter of the mm-hmm. book. And that's about as autobiographical as it gets because I'm not – that 279-pound hero gets on a bike, goes across country. But I did find myself writing uh, to comfort myself while I was going through the process. My mother mother lived six weeks, and my father lived ten days. And I, you know, I saw the handwriting on the wall, and I, I, and as I had always done, I wrote to sort of comfort myself. But for the very first time, probably because the stakes were so high, I wrote um, to explain things to myself to to uh work sort of inside out like i do as an actor Mm -hmm. not not throw it out there not really care if anybody was going to read it and it 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 just flowed out of me you know in a way i i I sat down to write about them and i ended up writing about (laughs) this uh this 279 pound friendless 43 year old alcoholic who who after the wake of his parents inadvertently finds a bike in the garage that was his bike uh, when he lived at home with an, a, a beloved older sister who was 
who was uh, 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 psychotic and, 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 as he always said, mad, had many, many instances of schizophrenia and finally, ultimately disappeared. The 20 years before but there were many little disappearances mm-hmm. and he used this bike to 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 to, uh, to try to find her and drunk as i said and he stuffed into a suit that fit him good 150 <laughs> pounds ago because he was always a skinny kid he 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 staggers out to the to the street after the wake of his parents gets on the bike in the middle of the night and starts rolling off to god knows where and he doesn't know where but Ultimately, it's to recover the body of his sister, who had been discovered in a dead in Los Angeles, fr- from Rhode Island to Los Angeles, and to discover himself. So he's kind of on a search for himself. It's almost Forrest Gump-like, you know, that scene and, where he just starts running. <laughs> well, it is, it is in, in some ways, but this guy had – Forrest Gump, I really think, you know, I, some people have said that, but he never had the ability to really enter into the, the world of his own. True. But this guy had – he just stopped. He anesthetized himself, and his life – stopped and and he just couldn't get bring himself back into it because by coming back into it he has to face why he's like that and that's because mm-hmm. you know when you have someone afflicted in your family even if you're a kid you become sort of a surrogate parent mm-hmm. you're always worried about them you're in your life is built around that and when when she disappeared he he didn't want to think about all those reasons and and for the very first time he's on the bike he has no money <laughs> he's not sure why he's going he, he 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 finds himself pedaling madly because he he found a letter that the Los Angeles coroner had written to his father and and he's without money for booze he's without uh anybody to really have any grounding at all except a neighbor that he grew up with who he had broke all contact with since she had an accident and she was now in a wheelchair and and uh it it it, it's kind of nice to see him come back into the world because I'm real hopeful. I'm a hopeful guy, and I do believe people change their stripes, and I do believe that people can 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 change their lives for the better and be more open. Did you have the entire arc of the story in mind when you started writing? Well, it's interesting. I wrote it first as a poem. I wrote it. I sat down when my folks had their accident. I said, "I've got to write something." I was going to write about my parents, and I wrote it about uh, this guy. This long poem. And then I said, this is nuts. I put it down, and, and after the burial of my parents, I, I took it out and looked at it again. I said, well, maybe it'd make a nice play. So I wrote a play, and there I am, the 44 unproduced <laughs> plays. And I thought, well, this is a real good play, but it's just it, it's much more. It seems this guy wants more. So then I, I wrote uh, the novel, but I had the poem and the play as a blueprint for it. And so I, I – and, and it really allowed me to enter into his – as an actor – but looking at a play version, in, enter into his emotional kind of, of turmoil, which was, which was really huge. And, and, uh, and he, and the, the pleasure of writing it for the very first time again, getting out of my own way. Mm-hmm. I, I could hear his voice in the back of my head and I could hear people's voices. And the, the girl in the wheelchair, Norma, who he, he sees mm-hmm. right bef- in a drunken state right after the wake and he, and he starts off on his journey, but they develop a relationship on the phone that becomes, I'm not going to tell you how it ends, but it's a very sweet one. <laughs> but when I wrote her, I wrote it like a lot of guys who knew people in wheelchairs and sort of felt sorry for them. And, but it was from her perspective too, her little story. And I, and, after I wrote three chapters involving her, I could hear her in the back of my head saying, hey, hey, I'm not wimpy. I, I am just in a wheelchair. I am a lot healthier than this guy who was dropped out of life. He needs me more than I need him. And I, I mean, it wouldn't leave me alone. So I just said, I, 
I've got to rewrite that entire thing. So I, I got back and I gave her her edge and her strength and her jobs and the whole deal. And it just, it just made sense. It was a pleasure to, 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 to write. I, you know, this I is hope so, it's a pleasure to This read. is so the antithesis <laughs> of that rich and famous novel you were talking about a few I, minutes ago. Oh, yeah. It really was. Well, in this book, writing start to, started to give me back more than I could ever give it. And every subsequent thing I've done, you know, the unpublished plays and the, un, uh, and the unpublished novels, that my friends said, you know, why don't you quit? You're not getting them done. But the truth of the matter is to have them, to have them finished and to have them the way I wanted them. That was enough. That really was enough. I always felt I had a career as a writer, even though I was unpublished. But this is the, this is the thing that so baffles me. And, and with all due respect to anyone who's ever put pen to paper, so much of what I see in this room is crap. <laughs> and your book is so far head and shoulders above everything else. Why oh, did it take so long? To, why did it take so long and the intercession of good friends, uh, including Stephen yeah. King, to get this into print? Well, Stephen King was – this is the most amazing thing. Stephen King wasn't a friend of mine. He was a guy I auditioned for. After this short break, Ron McClarty tells the story of what Stephen King did for him. Now back to my 2005 conversation with Ron McClarty. Here's the story about it. It's very interesting. I have no entrepreneurial skills. <laughs> I really don't. I'm an actor, and an actor is used to going around saying, please employ me, and they either say yes or they say no. And you need permission to be an actor. Mm -hmm. And I, I would send my books out. I, I actually stopped after the fifth one. I just wrote them and, and subjected ten friends and always – Always find friends that love you because they won't criticize you. you you're not showing them your unpublished novel to, to be criticized. Mm -hmm. But um, uh, I do a lot of books on tape. That's one of the things mm -hmm. I do as, a, as an actor I, uh, and uh, wonder, wonderful writers. And I, I really pour myself into, into that part of my profession. And I was working at a small recording company, recorded books. They sell on the Internet. Um, they put books in libraries. They have a rental library. And... I went to the person who runs it, and I said, you know what? I, I've got a book. I've got a novel. My third novel that I wrote several years ago, quite a, quite a while ago, I think it, it's, it's got a guy on a bicycle. It moves. I think it would really lend itself. It's in the first person to book on tape, and I, I'll read it to you for nothing. And and uh, this woman says, well, I don't, I don't this, it's not published. We don't do published books. I said, well, just read it. So uh, Claudia Howard read it, and she loved it. And, the, and and we both fought for it, wrote letters, and finally the recorded books people said, yeah, okay, you can you can do it. And, and so I did it, never made any money on it. But I did get to go down to Middleburg, Virginia on a library tour and talk to people and, and, and listen to them tell me how wonderful they thought my book was on, on tape. And that was, that was enough. I mean, that was the impetus for 20 <laughs> more books. I mean, I walked back, I'm a writer now. So, you, so I forgot about it. And that was eight years ago. A, uh, a year ago, August, no, a year ago, May, I auditioned for Stephen King's Kingdom Hospital. Mm -hmm. And it was one of those all-time awful auditions. You know, <laughs> actors either leave the room walking or running. I was flying out of there. <laughs> but as I left, he was there and he said, are you Ron McClarty the novelist? Stephen King said, are you Ron McClarty the novelist? And I about croaked right there i couldn't but i said well i i, I have written novels and and he says yeah and i've seen your name in the catalogs of uh, recorded books because he's you know listened mm -hmm. since his accident um so i ran over to recorded books i got them to send uh the the copy of the of, of the tape to him and then i forgot about that and i was driving across country to see my middle child who's a smoke jumper in uh 
uh, in New Mexico. And to go on, I was doing two episodes of The Practice and uh, an episode of Judging Amy, two episodes of shows that I have auditioned for. If I haven't auditioned for them and they give them to me, I will do anything. I'll go on foot. You know, usually it's a lot of begging, but they just gave me these jobs. So I was so excited to get them. But outside of Farmington, New Mexico, I got a call from Recorded Books saying that Stephen King's office had faxed him, faxed them a copy of this article that was going to be an entertainment weekly. And it was, and they read it to me over the phone. And again, I just about croaked. And I thought, well, I will get a paperback out of this. So I called my agent and I said, you know, I'm going to fax you something. And by the time I got to Los Angeles, he had set up a, an auction for my book. <laughs> and the rest is, well, here's my book. And and uh, it's been the 20 year overnight success, the 20 year overnight success. And then I sat there. You can just imagine after I sold two books and the second novel that's coming out is my my fourth of 10 books. And that's called Art in America. And that's about a failed writer. <laughs> and it's a very funny book. Would, would, but, I, would I be correct in guessing? I didn't mean to interrupt. No. But would I be correct in guessing, though, that these books that you got in the drawer are not necessarily the ones you're going to be pulling out now and, and publish? I'm guessing that you're going to start writing fresh now. And Well, I just finished a brand new novel. And I, and I, but I'm very happy with the first two books. I'm not going to show to anybody. <laughs> the but rich I'm and very, famous books. I'm very happy with the books from memory of running on. And, 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 uh, and I still, you know, I still sit down at my desk. I'm a terrible insomniac. I get real up, up real early and I write from five o'clock on. And then, and that allows me to go around and, but you know what it's done? It's, uh, I know that I, you made a face and <laughs> that's okay <laughs> because by 10 o'clock, I'm finishing my writing. And I, I go make my rounds as an actor. And, you know, there's lots of rejection for mm-hmm. an actor. But it's never bothered me at all because I felt my day's work was done. And so I said, yeah, sure. And I think it's helped me as a as an actor because I never brought any desperation to it or, or hurt feelings. You have to avoid bitterness in that profession mm-hmm. because the microphone and the camera picks all that stuff up. Mm-hmm. And it'll say, oh, it's desperate people, you know. And I never wanted to do that. But But I sat in this room after this auction. I was so stunned. I mean. I sold two books. I made some money. I said, well, what more can happen? And the phone rings. And this is a, hi, I'm, my name is Sylvia Ravenow, and I'm a, an agent that brings uh, books to movies. I'd like to represent you. And uh, <laughs> I said, well, who's going to want my stuff for the movie? Three days later, I sold it to Warner Brothers, and I've written the screenplay. And Alfonso Corona, Dodito Mama Tambion, and mm-hmm. the new Harry Potter is directing the movie. He's uh, It's already, you know, been accepted. Wow. So we're we're I'm overwhelmed. Do you have anybody in mind for Smithy? I have somebody, well, of course, you know, I think most actors admiring other actors who saw the inside, I think Russell Crowe is terrific and a guy who could go up and down and wait and play. But he, but Alfonso has a wonderful idea to make an unknown Smithy. And along the way, uh, because Smithy's guileless and he's sort of new, he's dropped out of life for 20 years and he's not mean. He's just been a drunk. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and now that he's sober and he's looking around and looking at the world, people realize he's not judgmental of them. So a lot of people he meets tell them the story of their life and it tells him the story of their life. And, and, and he, Alfonso would like to maybe put stars in all of those roles, all of those odd, strange roles that he thinks stars might drool over to play. So that would be great. And I'm not putting myself in it. I just want to write it because I got a, a strange <laughs> feeling about Hollywood, which I don't understand anything about Hollywood. There are a bunch <laughs> of gunslingers out there. But I have a strange feeling that if I if I tried to put myself in the movie, they'd say, well, yeah, let me put it in. he's no writer. 
You know, we don't want to use his screenplay. <laughs> you can always be like a guy in a diner who orders scrambled eggs. I you could know, do that during some scene. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'd be enough. But everybody says I'm running out of time very quickly, so I got to wrap this sure. up somehow. But just everybody, and and I I can't disagree with this. Everybody says Smithson Eyed Smithy is one of these characters that you just keep. I, you know, when you get to the end of a book like this, you don't want it to end. You huh. want more. Oh. Or is he going to appear in a future book? Uh, I haven't thought about any any sequels. I haven't thought about anything like that. You know, the, one of the great things about being the great undiscovered writer <laughs> is you don't have to repeat your success. If I'd written this at 37 and got success for it, I might have just kept writing the same book. But every single one of my books are different, strange, odd, new characters. And I love this character in the next book that's coming out. The failed writer of all time. Who, who, you know, never questions whether or not he, you know, he has a talent when it's, when, when his work piles up to the ceiling, you know, and it's, uh, it's very sweet, but no, I, I, I love the freedom that it's given me, you know, on the, it's true. Not being published has given me a lot of freedom. Mm-hmm. You know, if you look at, if you look at it as just as a way to make money, then writing is probably the wrong profession to be mm-hmm. in. But if you look at it as a way to explain the world to yourself and to be true and which, which, which ultimately all the classes, all the, the writing groups and everything, they all, that's what they all point to. It's like acting, you know, be true, be true, be true. And, and you know, if, I, I think I was, I think I was true as a writer mm-hmm. and I want to continue to be. You're, I'm, I'm assuming you're a Red Sox fan. Oh yeah, sure. I mean, yeah. I recorded, as a matter of fact, Stephen King's because I've recorded a couple of books. I've, you know, after he did this, I called him up and I was weeping on the phone after after I sold the book, and and every time I write him a note, I keep him up to date. I don't want to bug him, you know, because mm-hmm. we're not real friends or anything. But I just admire him. And he is still a great Stephen King to me. And I, I write, uh, I write him a letter. and I always sign it, "I love you," <laughs> you know, because hey, <laughs> well, how else can I sign the letter? You know, it altered my life, but he also. He also changed that example of selflessness. I want to be a better person. I mean, I want, I'm 57 years old. I want, I want to give back some of that stuff. That example of selflessness kind of stunned me. It still did. You know, I walk around, you know, still scratching my head over it. Well, he, he has such a firm and, and clear vision that this is not a zero sum game. If you succeed, it doesn't take away some of his success. Right. Right, I, I, absolutely, and I recorded his book, The Faithful, about the one about the the Sox and and my three boys, Yankee fans. Sorry, yeah. uh, <laughs> my three boys uh, said, "Pop, pop." Don't record the book. I say, well, are you nuts? Are you nuts? I'm a, a Red Sox fan. So, so it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's been great. It's I'm been hoping great. that your aura now will, will <laughs> seep into my long suffering Cubs fanness. Ah, and well, it's their the, turn now. The, it, it, well, theoretically, it's their yes. turn now. Theoretically, yes. <laughs> Ron McClarty died in 2022 at the age of 74. And you can get your copy of The Memory of Running by clicking on the link in our show notes or by going to our website, heardeverything.com. And while you're at heardeverything.com, you'll find my interviews with two other actors who turned to fiction and became very successful at it. My 1987 talk with the author of Fried Green Tomatoes, actress Fanny Flagg. It's always what we don't have. I think even if you never lived in a small town, in your heart you long to go back there. I think we all have a longing to go back. And my 1994 conversation with actor Stephen Collins. What among all your work has given you the most pleasure? Probably playing JFK in A Woman Named Jackie, the miniseries. I wouldn't have thought I'd say that, but that's, uh, in a word association test, that's what came up. And of course, we post new episodes of Now I've Heard Everything here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And you can find us on all major podcast platforms. And thanks for listening. 
Next time on Now I've Heard Everything, the woman who became the first female member of Congress elected from Colorado, the first ever, and she served for 24 years in the House of Representatives. But it was a tearful exit from the presidential race one year that really helped define her political career. My 1998 talk with former Congresswoman Pat Schroeder. Where I found the most politicians getting in trouble is when they always start trying to deny something, uh, straighten their halo, pose for holy pictures, and then the press is off to the war, you know, because they know. They know. That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson. Bill Thompson.